Well, I'm going to read from one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, the story of Ruth that's found in the book of Ruth. Yeah, she gets an entire book of the Bible named after her. Isn't that cool? And this is from chapter one. Once upon a time, it was back in the days when judges led Israel, there was a famine in the land. A man from Bethlehem and Judah left home to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. His sons were named Malon and Kilian, all Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They all went to the country of Moab and settled there. Elimelech died, and Naomi was left, she and her two sons. The sons took Moabite wives. The name of the first was Orpah, the second, Ruth. They lived there in Moab for the next 10 years. But then the two brothers, Malon and Kilian, died. Now the woman was left without either her young men or her husband. One day she got herself together, she and her two daughters-in-law, to leave the country of Moab and set out for home. She had heard that God had been pleased to visit his people and give them food. And so she started out from the place she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law with her, on the road back to the land of Judah. After a short while on the road, Naomi told her two daughters-in-law, go back, go home, and live with your mothers. And may God treat you as graciously as you treated your deceased husbands and me. May God give each of you a new home and a new husband. She kissed them, and they cried openly. They said, no, we're going on with you to your people. But Naomi was firm. Go back, my dear daughters. Why would you come with me? No, dear daughters, this is a bitter pill for me to swallow, more bitter than me, for me than for you. God has dealt me a terrible, hard blow. Again, they cried openly. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth embraced her and held on. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back home to live with her own people and gods. Go with her. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I will live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. When Naomi saw that Ruth had her heart set on going with her, she gave in. And so the two of them traveled on together to Bethlehem. This is the third week of our summer series where we've been looking at how God uses ordinary people for extraordinary purposes. People like, like Lydia, like the blind beggar man that Carla taught about last week. Joseph that Steph is going to teach about next week. And several others through this summer, plain old people like you and like me, yet God did some 
extraordinary things through them. Now, Ruth isn't someone who would be considered blockbuster or hero material. As a kid, I loved to read stories about unlikely heroes, ordinary people, even less than average people who were swept up into these epic stories where their, their small lives made a big difference. When I was in sixth grade, I received as a Christmas gift a book that is still one of my favorites today. It's called The Hobbit. J.R.R. Tolkien's book about unlikely and unwilling heroes captured my imagination. I gobbled it up in, in one weekend. And I was delighted to discover that Tolkien had written more books, a series called The Lord of the Rings. I immediately ordered the trilogy for 50 cents a book. And then I discovered C.S. Lewis's books, The Chronicles of Narnia. I was hooked. I loved the idea that being small didn't disqualify you from being part of something, something big, something meaningful or heroic. These characters didn't possess superpowers. They couldn't fly. They couldn't turn invisible or stop speeding bullets. I like those stories too. I mean, who wouldn't want to have that kind of power and strength? But real life doesn't give us that option. Real life is made up of simple, ordinary people whose strength comes from compassion and humility and whose power is, is found in faith and love. Ruth is one of those people. She has no superhuman strength, no x-ray vision. She doesn't wear a cape. She's very ordinary. But God chooses her for extraordinary purposes. And she becomes a hero in the kingdom of God. The book of Ruth is only four chapters long, and I want to encourage you sometime soon to read through the rest of this beautiful story. But chapter one, which we read, sets the stage. The beginning of this story isn't a happy one. And we can quickly see that this ain't no fairy tale. Verse 1 says this happened back in the days when judges led Israel. Now, what does that mean? Well, this took place about 1,400 years before Jesus was born. And the book of Judges describes it like this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, it was an evil time in Israel's history. No rules, no laws. People did whatever they wanted. And verse 1 also says that there was a famine in the land. Life was hard. We understand what it's like to live in challenging times, don't we? Well, this was a challenging time too. And people were desperate to survive. Many of them packed up and left home. They looked for a new place, a new country where they could survive. And one of those people was Elimelech. He took his family, left Judah, crossed the Jordan River to try his luck in the neighboring country of Moab. 
For centuries, Moabites and Israelites had been mortal enemies. But when you're hungry, I guess you aren't picky. So we've got evil, famine, desperation, and it gets a whole lot worse. The story introduces five other characters. There's Naomi, Elimelech's wife, Malon and Killian, the sons, and Orpah and Ruth, the two sons' wives. Now, for what it's worth, don't name your kids Malon and Killian. They're terrible names. They, they literally mean sickly and dying. Can you imagine naming your kids this and then having to introduce them to people? These are my two sons, swine flu pandemic and COVID-19. Story goes on, Elimelech dies. And Naomi's left alone with her sons, who marry Moabite women. Now, did I mention that Moabites were enemies of the Israelites? I think it's safe to say that mom probably had a few words with her boys. Nevertheless, they married. And 10 years later, both sons die. It goes from bad to worse. And it's a dark, bleak, hopeless scene for Naomi. It's hard to imagine what it must have been like following your spouse to a hostile, foreign land and then losing your husband and your sons. It's bad enough that you're hungry and you're searching for food in the land of your enemies, but to lose your whole family? Like I said, this, this ain't no fairy tale. Now, if you're Naomi, I would expect that your heart would cry out in pain. If not, shout and scream with clenched fists to the heavens and ask, where are you, God? In the past months, we've all experienced some measure of loss and grief. The landscape around us has changed dramatically to become unrecognizable at times. It can feel like we're living in a hostile foreign land. It doesn't feel safe. We've been forced to make serious adjustments to our way of living in order to survive and to, to protect those around us. The global pandemic has shaken us, changed us, maybe even broken us in some ways. We've lost freedoms, relationships, routines, stability, our jobs. And like Tim was saying earlier, at times, even our minds. And similar to the layers of Ruth's tragic story, another layer of despair and pain has rocked our country, brought about by the murder of George Floyd. A voice has been raised in our nation that will not be silenced. We've been awakened to the depth of injustice, discrimination, and systemic racism that can no longer be tolerated. Many of us, like myself, are confronting our own blindness to these tragic truths. Some of us are feeling guilt and shame of being part of the problem and seeing the injustice that our neighbors and even friends have lived with for generations. This is a challenging time. 
so much pain and sadness. We're grieving as a nation in a way that many of us have never experienced before. And people are asking, where are you, God? That question, where are you, God, is a familiar one to some of you. You're not surprised to hear it today because you've asked it yourself before. Now, some will answer that question by saying, well, there is no God. God doesn't exist. How can he when there's so much brokenness and pain? But others will answer that God can work through even the greatest suffering. There is a rock that we can stand on. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, he writes this. He writes, ah, the saved. And what he's talking about here is those who stand on the rock of Jesus. He says, ah, the saved. What happens to them is best described as the opposite of a mirage. You know, when, when you imagine seeing an oasis in the desert, he says, salvation is the opposite of that. What seemed, when they entered it, to be the veil of misery turns out, when they look back, to have been a well. Keep going. Next slide. And where present experience saw only salt deserts, memory truthfully records that the pools were full of water. So what Lewis is saying here is that God has an extraordinarily patient and gracious way of working through pain and suffering to bring about good. And that's what the book of Ruth is about. It's a book for people who wonder where God is when there are no visions, no dreams, no prophets, no miracles. It's a book for people who wonder where God is when tragedy after tragedy attacks their faith. So where is God in this story? The story of sadness and despair. Well, God is in the life and the heart of this ordinary Moabite woman named Ruth. And here's what happens. Naomi hears that the famine has ended in Judah. God had been pleased to visit his people and give them food. She decides she's going to go back to Bethlehem. So she tells her daughter-in-laws to go back to their families, find new husbands, begin a new life. But they want to stay with Naomi. And Naomi responds by saying this, Go back, my dear daughters. Why would you come back with me? She's speaking out of her grief and out of her pain. And, and she raises a pretty good argument here. She's saying, you suffered enough by being a part of my family. Don't put yourself through anymore. With me, it's hopeless. I mean, no good's going to come out of following me back to Judah. Can't you see that God is against me? 
Naomi can't see God working in her life. She's blind to the pool of water that's masquerading as desert wasteland of hopelessness. Naomi's bitter speech, well, it convinces Orpah, and Orpah leaves and returns to her family. But Ruth, she's not swayed. And she responds, don't force me to leave. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. I mean, wow. Ruth declares her undying devotion to her mother-in-law. She says, It doesn't matter how much you've suffered. It doesn't matter how much more you might suffer. It doesn't matter how much I suffer. My place is next to you. I'll be with you until death prevents me from being with you anymore. I'm going with you. What in the world did Ruth see in Naomi? Maybe it's the way she cared about her family. Maybe it's her integrity, her character, her love. Maybe it's her faith. Whatever it was, Ruth saw it and she thought, if Naomi's like this, I think I like her people. I think I like her God. Something about Naomi may have been attractive to Ruth. But then again, maybe it has nothing to do with who Naomi is and everything to do with who Ruth is. No matter what Ruth sees in her mother-in-law, she's not going to abandon her. She couldn't abandon her. She's going to stand with her no matter what. And don't forget that Ruth is a Moabite. To go with Naomi to Judah would be putting her life at risk. She's heading into hostile territory. She would be a foreigner, a minority, in a strange land among strange people. But it didn't matter. Because for Ruth, this ordinary woman, her loyalty and commitment to Naomi was her top priority. And it's through this loyalty that God would do extraordinary things through her. In the remaining three chapters, which you will have to read, we discover that God is close by. God's presence is demonstrated in the loyal heart of Ruth, this ordinary Moabite woman. God is present in the generosity of a relative by the name of Boaz who's so impressed with Ruth's kindness that he marries her. And God is present in the birth of Ruth and Boaz's child, Naomi's grandson, was named Obed, who a couple generations later becomes the grandfather of David greatest king that Israel ever had and generations later becomes the ancestor of Jesus the savior of the world isn't that extraordinary so what can we learn from the story of Ruth well number one we can learn that God is with us God was with Naomi, God was with Ruth, and as ordinary as you and I might be, God is with us. Where is God? 
God is in the ordinary, even painful moments of our lives, working in extraordinary ways that sometimes we can't see, but later bear good fruit in very real ways through very precious relationships that are so important to us, through random acts of generosity and the kindness of strangers, through faith that moves mountains and fills dry pools with water. The truth is, Ruth and Naomi aren't the main characters of this story. God is. Just as Naomi returned home to her people when she had no other place to turn, God invites us home to him when we face brokenness and pain. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The second thing, you can trust God. Just as Ruth remained loyal to her mother-in-law, even in their despair, and was drawn to Naomi's people and her God, so too does God ask us to trust in him to provide for and to protect us. God still saves his people. God still provides pools of water in the desert. Jesus is the rock that we can build our lives on. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And then number three, choosing to stand with people, especially those who are different than you, especially those who are oppressed, desperate, and alone, will lead you to a better place, a place of God's blessing. You see, the big story of the Bible isn't just about a, a vertical relationship with God. It's not just Jesus and me. It's also about a horizontal relationship that we have with our neighbors. And that means all of our neighbors, especially those who are overlooked and suffering. Choosing to sacrifice something of yourself so that life can be better for someone else is the way of Jesus. Being generous, giving up, letting go so that someone else can succeed, so that someone else can live, so that someone else can be noticed and be heard or be safe is what God calls us to do. And no, it's not easy. It's not what we usually want to do. It may be met with resistance and it may be misunderstood by people around us, but it's how Jesus lived and how he showed us how to live. It's a life that bears good fruit for the sake of others and for the honor 
of God. This is especially important for us to hear today. Stand with others, especially the marginalized, the oppressed, those who suffer injustice, and those who are not being noticed or heard. Jesus did, and he still does today. And we must do so too. The prophet Micah said, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God is with you. You can trust him. And you are called to take your ordinary life and be a bright light in the world by standing with and showing your love for others, especially those who are desperate for change and hope. I invite you to pray with me. Father God, thank you for the story of Ruth. It's amazing story of love picture of love within a family where love was so strong that when there was loss it was felt deeply and it was painful a story of love through daughter-in-laws who supported their mother-in-law so deeply the love of Ruth to stand with to stand by Naomi not because she had to but because she wanted to and the love of a community that celebrated with Ruth and Boaz and Naomi at the birth of their son Obed And through this simple story with a wonderful ending, we see that it doesn't stop there, but the story goes on. And God, your love is proven once again. Your grace that we sang about earlier is proven again because this is your story. This is a story about your love for us. This is your big story of saving us through one of Naomi and Ruth and Obed's ancestor, Jesus, the Savior of the world. In these days, with the challenges that we face now, may we believe you're with us, God that we can trust you, Father. And may your Holy Spirit continue to encourage to stand with others. In Jesus' name, amen.